that's how they got your email, dummy. Hello and welcome to episode number 149 of the Random Thoughts Podcast. That is R-A-N-D-U-M-B Thoughts.com online if you're looking for us there. I am your host, Darren O'Neill. On today's show, we're going to be talking about online and a little bit of offline scams. Going to be talking about Amazon reviews, Twitter bias, Cuomo out of office, and I'm sure a few other things. And I want to thank everybody for tuning in and giving us your time while we bloviate. It's 10 a.m. local time here in Chicago as I'm recording this. It's pitch black. The storms are rolling in. I can hear the rain. I can hear the thunder. So if you hear anything weird in the background, that's probably it. Hopefully the power stays on. And while it's definitely not the main thing I want to talk about today, the Andrew Cuomo story is one I think that at least deserves to have mentioned because it's the left eating their own. The guy is being forced out of office, maybe rightfully so, but this is usually where in America that you would have a thorough investigation. You would have a court case. You would have things proven a little bit more. And there are some people saying that this is Andrew Cuomo just making this decision. So he has a chance at coming back. I don't know. But the main thing I think you want to look at is how this has been covered. Of course, his brother, who's a big shot over at CNN. No, this isn't really uh, this really isn't making their headlines. I mean, it's being talked about now because it has to be. But up until this point, it was kind of ignored. I saw a blurb earlier that said 60 minutes up until this point had never mentioned any of the Cuomo scandals. And what this should really teach everybody, if you haven't figured it out already, is that the news media in America and in a lot of other places is not really news media anymore. They're pushing a narrative. It's getting more and more opinion-based, less and less fact-based. Many more stories are being based upon what people find on the internet, whether that means they're getting that from other stories that were posted on other news organizations, blog sites, and hell, some of these people are using Reddit and Twitter and Instagram to source stories, and that is simply not a good idea. And that kind of leads us into the main things I wanted to talk about, which is the online scams. And it was interesting, the Wall Street Journal, I believe it was, had this story that pointed out how many younger folks are getting caught up in online scams now. This is not 
the case of, ah, it's just grandma and grandpa. They're dumb. You know, they're 50, 60, 70 years old and over. And they don't understand how the internet works. So, of course, they're going to fall for the online scams. Now, these things are becoming so commonplace and they're becoming so much better at being believable. Either that or people are getting dumber. You can probably decide which one you think. And I could probably make an argument for either way, whether or not that the way the scammers are going about their business has gotten better, has gotten more confusing to where people want to believe it. Or if people are just so used to things now using these devices and believing everything that pops up on their device that they never even question. But in the article, it said that the number of individuals age 20 or younger, which of course would be Generation Z, the people that have always had phones around, have always had the internet around, they're the ones reporting at a higher rate that they've been the victims of cyber fraud up. It says 156% over the last three years, which is also interesting because of the COVID pandemic. You know, maybe that's changing things a little. There's a lot more people, I guess, that are going online to find dates, find new friends, to interact with more people because you're stuck at home. So maybe that makes a little bit of sense. But when you're being scammed, usually that means you're out money. Uh, I mean, you can have a few other things, but usually it means you're going to be out money if you were saying that you were scammed online. Now, at the same time period over the last three years, where the reported scams among the Generation Z folks was up 156%. The 60 and over group reported that it was up, but only 112%. So it's a decent amount more for the younger people falling for the scams. And the question is why? You would think they'd be a little bit more sophisticated. They're used to what people can do on the cell phones and on the internet. So why are they falling for more things? And There's no clear cut answer, but the kind of things they are falling for involve things like job scams. And the article says, you know, be aware that anything that seems too good to be true. Well, yeah, I mean, that should be something your parents are teaching you right off the bat. If something seems too good to be true, it's probably not true. I mean, schools maybe could teach this kind of stuff too if they could stop worrying about critical race theory and equity. And all this other kind of stuff, and maybe teach things that could actually help kids understand how the world around them works. Because, surprise, the world's not fair. And there are going to be people that are trying to scam you out of your money. Quite often, we call those people politicians, but I digress. The job scams that ask you to pay money for you to be trained, well, you might want to think twice about that. You Don't, I mean, this should set off a red flag to me anyway. If you find something online that's like, hey, you can stuff envelopes from home, do they still do that? And if they do, that's also a red flag because nobody's stuffing envelopes anymore. But hey, you could do online billing for doctors. That's a very popular one. I've seen that. 
You know, you can do billing for doctors online. You can make 80 grand a year. But in order for you to get this job, you need to buy our course for $5,000 to get you trained. But the minute you're trained, you're going to be making the money. No, that's probably not true. Anybody that's asking you to put out money in order for you to make money, you really want to do a lot of investigating into who you're dealing with and what the system is. It was a scam for years and years and years with people that wanted to get into modeling or acting. It's like, oh, yeah. I'll be your agent. I think you've got a lot of talent, little Susie, but, you know, we need headshots. We need a demo reel. We need this, this, and this, and that costs money. So if you give me $5,000, I can make you a star. No. No, if they think they can make you a star, they'll pay for the headshots. Same thing when it comes to a job. If they think you're qualified, they will train you on their dime, and then they will let you do the job. I mean, of course, some companies that have done this in the past have gone under. I worked for Radio Shack. They were big into training. And Circuit City also, believe it or not, was really big into training their employees. When they opened up the Circuit City stores here in Chicago, of course, they're now gone. But when they opened up the stores, they did a lot of training for the people that were coming in to man the new stores. And they did all that training here. But once the doors were open, Anybody new that was hired on the Circuit City dime, I mean, if you just came in as an appliance salesperson, they were sending you, I think it was to Richmond, Virginia for like a week or two, put you up in a hotel and gave you the training that they thought you needed to succeed with their company. They didn't ask people to pay for that. And this was a way to get the employees better trained to hopefully make the companies more money. But anybody that's asking you in order to give you a job, asking you for money, asking you for any of your banking information, asking you for information that you're like, well, why would they need that? If you're having that question at all, don't give the information, do a lot more research and keep yourself a little bit safer there. The other types of scams include things like the online influencer scams, and these are everywhere. It's amazing how many times you see messages pop up on people's Instagram that just post a picture and it's companies like, hey, do you want to collaborate? And basically what that means is, I mean, some of these companies are legit, but a lot of them are trying to scam because all of these girls mainly, I mean, that's probably totally sexist, but it seems like more girls on Instagram think that if they're cute, they can just post pictures and then companies will come to them and try to pay them money to wear their clothes, show off their jewelry, drink the latest energy drink or whatever it is. For us schlubby guys, not a whole lot of people that are filling up our timelines asking us to uh, you know show off their latest products. But the social media ones can go even further. There's fake contests and oh well you won the contest. You were the best influencer in this category. So we just need, you know, your bank account number to send you the prize. Yeah, be very careful with that kind of stuff. There have been other much more targeted scams at social influencers who are doing things out there like I've done on YouTube where you do different product reviews and stuff like that where companies will reach out to you if you have a large enough audience. Again, they usually don't want to deal with people 
with a small audience. But if you have a large enough audience on YouTube and you get an email from somebody that's like, hey, we just opened up Joe Blow VPN and we want you to do ads for us and we want to pay you really good money. But in order for you to understand how our product works, you really should use our product. And a VPN, for those of you who are not tech savvy, is a service online. It's the virtual private network where you connect to their service and then everything you do online goes through their service. And there's a lot of good VPN services out there and they can protect your privacy, but there's a lot of scams out there as well. And this was one that actually went around with a lot of influencers, which they got the email like, we want to collaborate. We want you to advertise our VPN, but they pulled it in a very interesting way. The psychology of this whole thing was, well, and you know, for you to honestly be able to do our advertisement. So, you know, we stay on the up and up, which is, again, psychologically fantastic. They're pushing that in order to stay on a very legitimate level. We want you to use our VPN. So when you talk about our VPN, then you'll be honest. You'll be telling people from your experience. Now, the problem was once you logged into their VPN, they were stealing your credentials for everything, including your social media sites, including your YouTube channel. And there were people that had these things then taken over by these companies because that's what the whole scam was. They really didn't want you to advertise their VPN. The scam was to promise you money and pretend that they had a product that they wanted you to endorse. But what they really got you to do was install software, which allowed them to access everything you were doing, all of your passwords. All of your accounts now belong to them and they can post their ads and do whatever they want because they've now locked you out of those accounts. So this would also be a nice place to do a little uh, sidetrack here on using two-factor authentication when it comes to the accounts that are very important to you. And for most people that have a YouTube channel, that would be included. Your social media accounts, those would all be included. It's a little bit more of a pain. And understand there are different ways to do two-factor authentication. And that just means two-factor authentication. Instead of just logging in with their username and password, that is no longer going to be good enough. They want another factor of authentication. They want something else to prove that you are who you say you are. And my two-factor authentication device of choice is a YubiKey, which is a physical device that makes it nearly impossible for other people to then access your accounts, where a lot of people use the text method, the SMS method, which is, hey, if you're trying to log into your YouTube account, you put your username and password in. They're like, hey, we don't recognize this device. And they send you a text message, which you then have to give the key, the number, whatever it is they send in the text message to prove that you're you. Well, now here's the problem. If people can steal your identity and they can get into your accounts quite often, like all the texting that I use is an online-based service. So if somebody has access to your account, the SMS is really not more secure. The physical key in the YubiKey is way more secure, which is why people should check those out. And at the very least, 
start using two-factor authentication on the accounts that mean things to you. And if your bank doesn't offer two-factor authentication, find another bank and do what you can to protect your accounts. I mean, that way, even if you give somebody accidentally, even if you're that dumb and you're half asleep and you give somebody your username and password, they still can't get into your account without that physical key. So it keeps things a whole lot safer. And if anybody has questions about this and wants more of an explanation on that, let me know. Darren, D-A-R-R-E-N at Random Thoughts, R-A-N-D-U-M-B Thoughts.com. And we can cover that a little bit more in future shows. But as an online influencer, again, this is kind of like the Nigerian Prince thing. Do not send money from people who you don't know to people that you don't know because they're promising you they're going to send you money in return. Not going to happen. Now, the online shopping scams, this is an interesting thing as well, because you would think people would be like, well, why if I, if I don't know who the store is, why would I ever deal with them? And that's a pretty good question right there. But there are a lot of stores out there that are fake that people, if you're doing a search for a product, and I do this all the time, if you're looking for a product and you know what you want, you know, say you're looking for a specific microphone like this Electrovoice RE20 that I'm using right now. And you're like, oh, I really want to buy an Electrovoice RE20. I mean, it's easy to just go to Amazon and punch it in and buy it from them. But most people, when you're dealing with products that are over a couple hundred bucks, you're going to throw it into Google or you're going to throw it into another search engine or there's a variety of sites that are basically search engines for products. And you throw the information in of what you're looking for, and they give you a list of all the different places selling that product and the price on it. And quite often, the places with the lowest prices are stores you've never heard of. And sometimes those are completely legit outfits. Sometimes they're not. So this is, again, a case where you have to do a little bit more homework. Doing a simple search on the company is a good place to start. There are sites out there like resellerratings.com, which will give you an indication if who you're dealing with is legitimate or not. There are other ways to just do a search for if the company name is, you know, Bob's Microphones, then go do a search for Bob's Microphones reviews and see if anybody else is complaining. Because usually you're not going to be the first one to get scammed. And most people, when they do get scammed, will post about it somewhere, but where that is could be a whole bunch of different places. So you kind of have to do your homework when it comes to that. We were looking for a little piece to fix a music box that my mom's cousin had, and it's a little plastic wheel. But of course, this little plastic wheel is made for just this device. So even though if you had the ability to make it, it would cost like five cents. You know, they cost like 20 or 30 bucks. And we found it at a store that we had never heard of and tried to place the order. But I was kind of like, this is 50-50 going to be a scam or not. I don't remember if we talked about this in a previous episode because it would, it would be just like me to throw money at something like this just to see it go wrong to be able to rant on a podcast. But you do it with the credit card. And that way, when the product doesn't show up, you get your money back and you move on and you know it's a scam. So always be careful also 
using a debit card because debit cards, much bigger issue to try to get money put back into your account. If you're not 100% sure who you're dealing with, always use a credit card that has good protections on there to basically protect you and me from being dumb. Now, there's this article here on the uh, on the online scams like, you know, if there's a lot of typos on the company page. Yeah. If there's typos on the page that you're going about to put your credit card into, don't use it. If there is no physical address available, you might want to think about it. If there's no email address available, you might want to think about it. Of course, it's hard to find an email address for places like Amazon now. So it comes down to just making sure that you know who you're dealing with before you start the process of giving them money that you may have to try to get back later. Now, the type of scam that I think is much more prevalent now, especially in the era of COVID, is the romance scams. Now, what they say here in the article is these fraudsters end up winning a person's heart and then try to get the victim's money as well. If the person will not video chat or meet in person, that's a huge warning sign. Well, yeah, I would say if somebody will not video chat or meet in person, that's a huge warning sign. Now, the video chat, I don't even buy anymore because there's plenty of ways to alter the way you look in a video chat. Or there's also really hard for you to be tracked down if you're doing this. How do you know who that great person you met on the dating site? And even, even if they hop on a video chat, how do you know if they're you know in the town five miles away from you like they say they are, or they're in Moscow or Nigeria or wherever? There's really no way to do that. And we've heard this many times. And news stories over the years, how these scams often work is they go create a fake account on the dating sites because there's a lot of lonely people and they're looking for love. And they know when you're at that phase, you're a little bit more susceptible to wanting to buy in to these scams. You want to believe that that really attractive, very funny, interesting person on the other end is who they say they are. And often how this works is they'll create the account and they'll look for people who are near where that fake person lives, even though they're halfway across the world, they get you on the hook. And then what it comes down to when you're like, hey, you know, we should really meet for coffee. They're like, oh, you know what? I'm over in Moscow because this is where my family lives. And my mom just had surgery. And, you know, I'd like to get back to the United States there to, you know, town X, Y, Z where we live. But, I, you know, I, I don't have the money right now. So, I mean, maybe you could send me a few grand, you know, just so I can get back home. I'll be glad to pay you back. And it's absolutely amazing to me that that process, that scam still works. But it does. And I think it works. Because the people that are perpetrating these scams will actually have a relationship with you for a while. They'll start texting you. They will start having phone calls with you or, you know, it's nobody's really a phone call anymore. It's all audio over the Internet or even video over the Internet. None of this proves 
they are who they say they are. And then they drop the hammer and you feel bad and you've bought into it. And you believe, well, wow, yeah, I know them by now. This is Jenny. She'll be home. And if I just give her a couple of thousand dollars and then we'll meet and we'll live happily ever after. But the reality is you're just going to be separated from your money. And most of the time, you're not going to get it back because the scammers know also the systems to use to separate you from your money that are permanent. And these scams are not just online. I may have talked about this, but it bears repeating because of the subject matter here that a few months ago, my parents got a call on their voicemail that said, hey, this is Joey, whatever, at DirecTV, and we want to offer you a better deal because you are one of our better customers, and we just want to give you this great offer. So my dad returned the call and then realized it was much too good to be true because it wasn't just, hey, yeah, do you want this offer? Do you, we can change your programming. We can give you this. Great. We're done. You'll see this in your next build. No. Where this finally occurred to my dad and my mom that this was a scam was, well, for you to get this extra specially good price, we need you to pay in gift cards. And I forget what it was. It was either like Xbox gift cards or one of those like, we need you to go to your local Walgreens or CVS or whatever and pick up some of these gift cards and then give us the numbers. And then that's how you'll get this super duper offer. That's how you pay for it. And that's the only way we can get you the special price. So if anybody asks for gift cards, just want to put this out there. It's a scam. Don't do it. Hang up. Never call back to an 800 number from a company that pretends they are who they are. You know, if you're a direct TV customer, and I know there's a lot less of you out there now than there used to be, but whatever it is, if your cable company calls and gives you a number to call back, check if that's actually the number on your bill. Or call the number on your bill and inquire about this special offer. Quite often, you will find out that it is not legitimate. Also, don't believe what you see on your caller ID. This is something that I hope younger folks understand, but older people a lot of times still don't. Caller ID can be spoofed for paying just a few bucks for a service. I can make my phone number look like whatever I want. On your side, if I make a phone call to you, I can make it look like that phone call is coming from anywhere. So don't look at your caller ID and think that is a way to authenticate who is on the other end. It's just simply not true. Another thing that is often not true online are online reviews, whether you're getting those product reviews on Amazon, restaurant reviews on Yelp all sorts of different review sites that are out there. There's always the ability for the sellers to influence those in one way, shape, or form, including buying fake reviews that we've talked about here. And that should be no surprise to anybody. People are willing to pay money for people to review their product because quite often people are willing to do it for just the product and or a slight bump of a few bucks over that. And by getting enough people to do that, of course, you can swing the amount of sales that your product will get 
on a place like Amazon. And the Wall Street Journal had a story which didn't really surprise me, which the headline was Amazon third party sellers are hunting down buyers who leave bad reviews. Now, I will say, I mean, they're not actually killing them. They're not hunting them down, but they are finding them. And this is no surprise to me because I believe I covered at one point here when I talked about our trip to Ireland, which was about a decade ago, about a place that we stayed called the Lockleen House, if I remember correctly, where we had a really bad night. The windows were left open when we went out to a concert. When we came back, the room was filled with spiders. And if you don't like spiders, I mean, this would have been right out of a horror movie for you. And we left a review that I thought was fair that said the place was really nice, thought the room was nice. You know, the breakfast was good, all of that. But, you know, the spiders were a big negative. And the people that own the place called, emailed, were doing whatever they could in order to get us to change the review, which I still stand by because it was accurate. But. I got a lot of emails from them like, why are you trying to kill our business? And this seems to be the case from Amazon sellers as well when people leave the negative reviews. Now, also in the case of the people that own this place in Ireland, not only did they email and when they didn't get a response there, they didn't get the response they liked, they started phoning, but then they also started trying to contact the other couple that we were traveling with to try to get them to influence us to remove the review. And of course, once that happened, I was like, there's no way in hell I will ever delete that review. The most interesting thing was I followed the reviews of that place for a little while after. Haven't done it recently, but there was another low review. I don't remember if it was one star, two star. This was all over at TripAdvisor. And it was a low review, but it was in Italian. So I didn't really understand what it was saying. But, you know, luckily we have the Internet. We have ways to get these things translated, at least to get the gist of things. And once I put that review into Google Translate, I saw the word spiders a bunch of times and went, oh, okay. I guess we weren't the only one to have that issue. But this is the Wall Street Journal here reporting that Amazon third-party sellers are using a variety of tactics. In this, I want to call out for two reasons. One, because it's absolutely true this happens, but two, I want to really point out again the horrible journalism on display here with the Wall Street Journal. And it's not just the Wall Street Journal, it's journalism overall really, really sucks. And you'll see why. I say that. Now, they say that the people that sell products as a third party seller on Amazon will do a variety of things if customers leave negative reviews to give them incentive to change those reviews. And, you know, a certain amount of that is completely acceptable because Amazon will let them use their system to send you a note. And I, hate that when it comes to Amazon allowing that because I hate the fact that I buy something on Amazon and I get a message from the seller. So if you buy 
Uh, the one was a coffee company. I think it was the San Francisco Bay Coffee Company. And I, I could be wrong, so don't hold this against them. But these companies will then send you an email like, hey, we hope everything was great with your product, blah, blah, blah. If there's anything we can do, let us know. Now, when I buy a product on Amazon, I don't need to be contacted by the people that sold the product. If there is a problem, I will go to them. I do not need a preemptive, hey, thanks for buying our product. If there's anything wrong, let us know. I mean, it seems like that's good customer service, but it's just a lot of spam that can build up. Some people might like that and might think it's great that they're sending out an email to make sure you're happy with the product. So I could just be a curmudgeon. You can decide that. I don't know. It said that it is estimated that around 56% of all products sold on Amazon now come from third-party sellers, which I thought was kind of interesting. I mean, Amazon is a behemoth, but if a majority of the products actually being sold through Amazon aren't being sold by Amazon, but instead a third-party company that's just using Amazon as a way to sell, that is going to lead to a lot of these types of problems. Now, but the way this article starts, it talks about people getting messages from these companies that aren't through the Amazon system. So it's coming outside of Amazon's system entirely. It says some sellers are utilizing email extraction and reviewer lookup services to access the contact details of certain customers. One customer, Catherine Scott, described to the Wall Street Journal how she left a negative review for a kitchen oil spray bottle and just one week later received an email from someone claiming to be a customer service rep for the company she purchased the spray bottle from. The representative offered to refund Scott's money in exchange for deleting her negative review. The message she received stated, quote, we are willing to refund in full when we do not receive a response, we will assume that you did not see it, and we will continue to send emails. We hope you can reconsider deleting comments at your convenience, okay? Scott says she called for a full refund and refused to take down the review and promptly then received an email from another rep offering her $20 to remove her review, double what she paid for the oil spray bottle. Scott told the Wall Street Journal, quote, it was so creepy. They emailed me directly about it over and over. Now, I don't think I would say that was creepy, but I would say that is definitely annoying. And here's where the journalism for the Wall Street Journal goes right down the crapper for me, because reading this whole story, you believe that this company that sold the spray bottle went to extreme measures to figure out this woman's identity to find her email in order for them to start emailing her to try to get her to take down the review because we've heard about, oh, they go to these reviewer services, they go to all these other places and they look it up. But this is where the Wall Street Journal drops the bomb and says, Scott told the Wall Street Journal she believes the sellers received her email address by including a free gift insert with her order. In order to receive a free cooking thermometer, Scott was told to enter her email address and order ID on a webpage, which she did. <laughs> so, so yeah, that's how they got your email, dummy. Why, why do you think this is 
oh, I don't understand the lunacy of people. She believes they got her email address, you know, from when she went to their website, put in her order number and her email address. Of course, that's where they got your email address. You gave it to them. It says these inserts directly violate Amazon's policies, but appear to be quite common. Yeah, there's nothing you can do as Amazon except stop selling the products from third parties. If the third parties are shipping you the product, of course, whatever it may be, they can add something in there that's like, hey, get this. And this is a very common thing because I hate to tell you this, folks, your data is worth more to these companies than most of these small little items. This may be a company that has nothing to really invest it in these little spray bottles, but they will sell a cheap little spray bottle because they can send it to you. And then a vast majority of the people will be like, hey, I'm going to get a free gift. What was it in the case here again? A little thermometer or something like that. All I have to do is give them my email and I've got a free gift. And now what the company has is your address, your email, and all sorts of information on you. And that is worth more to them than the $10 product or whatever it is that you purchased. So they don't really care if you're happy or not with the purchase. And that's why they will pay you two times what the product is worth in order to get you to remove your negative review because they don't care about selling more of those products. What they care about is being able to ship these little cards to people who will then sign up and give them their data. This is all just another scam like we've been talking about this whole episode. It's just done in a completely different way. So you have to understand this even when you go to Amazon and everybody seems to trust Amazon. I think the Walmart site is very much similar to this now where it is filled with third party sellers selling things rather than you buying directly from Amazon or directly from Walmart. And you have to be careful about who you're dealing with and then understand when you get these little cards that are like, hey, thank you for buying our super duper whatever. We'd love to send you this as well. And then they ask you for a little bit of information. Now they're doing that to get the information. I mean, you might actually get the free gift and that's great, but it's probably another 50 cent item. What you're really giving up is your email address, which they can now attach to your name. They can now attach to your address. They might be able to attach it to your phone number if you've given them that. And they know at least one little crappy product that you purchase of. So you purchased a little oil spray bottle, as this woman did in this case. You could probably sell that information to other companies trying to sell kitchen type gadgets. So understand your data is important and your data, no matter what you're dealing with, is worth being protected and understand how these companies pull all sorts of different scams even the ones that seem really legit, like, oh, we sold you a product and now we just want you to sign up for you know, our free email list or we'll send you another free product or whatever it is. Understand how it works and you will be ahead of the game. Now, Twitter, who is a company that has been under a lot of scrutiny for a variety of things lately, has 
put out a bounty, which they've paid out on now, but they put out a bounty because they wanted to be ultimately woke, which is okay in this case, because there were people that thought the Twitter algorithms, the way they crop the pictures that you see on Twitter, if you use Twitter and if you are, I know you probably shouldn't be, but if you use Twitter or most of these social media sites, when somebody uploads a photo, quite often what you see as the preview is not the whole photo. So if somebody uploads a larger photo to Twitter and there's a variety of things in it and it has to be cropped to fit on the screen, Twitter doesn't just say, well, we're going to take the center of this or we're going to take the top of this and we're going to take the bottom of this. There is an algorithm baked into Twitter, which will decide what it thinks is the best part of that photograph or image to show in the timeline to get people to click on it. Now, I don't know if it's any surprise, but the first place entry into this contest, into the bug bounty competition, found that Twitter's cropping algorithm purposefully highlighted faces that are, quote, slim, young, of light or warm skin color and smooth skin texture and with stereotypically feminine facial traits. So we can look down here, slim, no fatties. No, no. If you got to be attractive, you got to be slim. If Twitter is going to get you young again, don't want any old people. You definitely don't want any old fat people, light or warm skin color. So you don't want black people. You don't want brown people. Twitter's algorithms don't want men. They want feminine. So, I mean, I guess if you're a young white girl who's skinny, you're going to have the best chance whatsoever of Twitter, their algorithm, finding you in the image and making sure you're front and center. So it's an interesting kind of a thing here because I don't know exactly what math is being used how this AI is looking at these images and deciding what to crop and what not to crop. But it's a very interesting result for Twitter, a company that wants to be fully woke and pretend that they're all about equity. It seems their AI may have different ideas. The second and third place entries in this bug bounty program found that the cropping system discriminated against people with white or gray hair as well. So, I mean, again, you young faces also, but then also gray hair. So I guess if you had a young face, but you had white or gray hair, that puts you down the line too. But that seems like age discrimination. And also, if there was text in an image, it preferred English text to Arabic text. Uh, the results were all presented at DEFCON 29. And uh, I thought this was interesting. Machine learning is coming a long way. AI is definitely here to stay. And it's going to be interesting to see how companies like Twitter are held accountable for these things, because I don't think necessarily they're doing anything that is nefarious in this case. It's just something that may have just happened. You know, unless Twitter comes out and be like, no, well, we just wanted young, attractive white girls on our timeline. And if you're old or fat or black 
or brown or have gray hair, we don't want you. I mean, it may just be what picks up better when it comes to faces. And of course, the lighter usually in an area is going to pick up better for a computer who's strictly looking at pixels. But this is something that people working with artificial intelligence need to be aware of moving forward to try to get these systems to work properly for everyone. With that said, I've probably bloviated enough for this particular episode. I do want to mention once again, my buddy Mike Riley's Kickstarter. You can find it at its book, itsbook.net. Check that out. He's over halfway to his goal. The other show that I do was called Grumpy Old Benz. It may be moving into Grumpy Old Bloviators, and you can tell why. If you've been listening here, we're looking for different co-hosts, different ideas. We're moving in a different direction there. So if you follow that show, there should be a whole lot of fun stuff going on. But we do work on the value for value model here on the Random Thoughts podcast, and we are fully podcasting 2.0 compliant. So if you're listening on Breeze or one of the other applications that allows you to boost, boost right now, show you like the show, send some value back our way using that service. And if you need to find out more about podcasting 2.0, you can do so at newpodcastapps.com. And try some of those apps out, stream some value while listening to your podcast, support the podcasters that you enjoy, or you can still go the old fashioned way, which for us is going to randomthoughts.com slash donate, clicking the donate button to do a one-time or monthly donation through PayPal. You can find the QR codes and wallet addresses if you want to do the crypto thing. And crypto is going up once again. It goes up, it goes down. But right now, if you're holding some crypto, it's going up. Might be a time to sell. I don't know. Who knows when the bottom's going to fall out? This new infrastructure bill has things involving crypto in it, which is either going to be really good or really bad. So watch that very closely. There were two competing things about the crypto in the infrastructure bill. It seems as of the last I checked earlier today that the good part would be the one in and not the bad. So hopefully crypto won't be crashing, but keep a very close eye on that. Or you can do the PO box address thing, go the snail mail route. All of them are appreciated. We do have two people that supported the show today, including our buddy, Sir Candinavian, who comes in with $51 in honor of my 51st birthday, which was back in April. I know it's a little late, but it is fully appreciated Sir Scandinavian. And then our buddy Midas comes in with his monthly $3. He does a bunch of great podcasts, including Fun Fact Friday, which you can find at funfactfriday.com. He does that with his daughter, Leela. And then you can find links to all the other podcasts that Dave does. His support is also very much appreciated. So you just decide if you want to take part in the value for value model, what you got out of the show. Hopefully you got some value out of it. There's no paywalls. We don't force you to pay anything, but you decide, hey, did I get some value? And if yes, then put a number on that, which means something to you. Was it a dollar's worth of value? And that's perfectly fine. Was it $5? Whatever it was, you put that into a number and then use any of those aforementioned ways to get the value to us. It's all appreciated, as is your time, as is you giving us your attention, your ears for this last 45 minutes or so. We appreciate you and 
As such, we will be back next week to do another edition of the Random Thoughts podcast. But until then, I am Darren O'Neill. Thanks for listening. <laughs>